This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen... Welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, episode 154, part 6, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so we're reviewing the book here. This is IBM and the Holocaust, the strategic alliance between Nazi Germany and America's most powerful corporation. It says here under the summary, uh, in the early 1880s, Herman Hollerith, all right, so he was alive 1860 to 1929, a young employee at the U.S. Census Bureau, conceived of the idea of creating readable cards with standardized perforations, each representing specific individual traits, such as gender, nationality, and occupation. The millions of punch cards created for the population counted in the national census could then be sorted on the basis of specific bits of information they contained, thereby providing a quantified portrait of the nation and its citizens. A circuit-closing device was used to electromagnetically record the data presented by the perforations. The technology enabled searching for individuals using the traits as certain terms. Now, we know that Howard Scott, uh, founder of Technocracy Incorporated, had actually discussed this in some of the Technocracy Inc. uh, papers. He had said, we already have this technology. Let's use it. And they wanted to use it. We covered this in depth on the show as we went through Technocracy Inc.'s founding documents. They wanted to use it uh, to do just that, to track all the people inside of the Technate, but also add to that information. You know, which sector of the Technate are you working in, which factory, which plant, which department. They wanted to track every single object that was being created. This is before, obviously, QR codes or even the UPC code. So if you're building a sneaker that's made out of black leather that has blue shoelaces and, you know, metal uh, soles or something like that, right? Um, they would have each of those classifications and they would create a punch card of that type of shoe, those pair of pants, that type of shirt. And this would allow them to track everything and all the energy that was being exerted, both in the form of human energy through what they called the human engine, and as well as the energy to actually run the manufacturing plant. So Howard Scott talked about this system of punch cards existing and we could utilize this to run the technocracy that he was proposing. 
proposing, a system controlled by the scientists, the engineers, the technologists, really with the banking of the uh, backing of the big bankers, uh, but also a system that is based on the science of social engineering and the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. So we know this existed. We know this technology was around. We know that from 1919 to 1937, Howard Scott Technocracy Incorporated talked about utilizing this technology to run their vision uh, for the technocracy. It goes on to say in 1910, the German licensee, Willy Heidinger, established the Deutsch Hollerith Maschinen uh, Gesellschaft German Hollerith Machine Corporation. So that's the German Hollerith Machine Corporation, known by the abbreviation uh, Deomag, uh, D-E-H-O-M-A-G. The next year, Hollerith sold his American business to industrialist Charles Flint, who was alive 1850 to 1934, for uh, $1.41 million. That would be equivalent to $41 million in 2021 money, which would be equivalent to $2 gazillion today with inflation. No, so $41 million in 2021. The counting machine operation was made part of a new conglomerate called the Computing Tabulating Recording Company, CTR. Flint chose Thomas J. Watson, who lived 1874 to 1965, the star salesman of the National Cash Register Corporation, to head the new operation. In 1923, the German licensee, Domag, became a direct subsidiary of the American corporation, CTR. In 1924, Watson assumed the role of chief executive officer of CTR and renamed the company International Business Machines, IBM. So this is where IBM comes from, all right, 1924. All right, and it's at this time, around this time, and I've done shows on this overlaying the timelines, that we know that IBM uh, had offices operating out of Columbia University, and it looks like out of the same building that Technocracy Inc. uh, and FDR's Brain Trust was operating there, all sort of overlapping. And eventually, I'm going to do shows on this and expand on this. There is some additional research I have to do. So there's the history of IBM, okay? It goes on to say Black, and this is the author of the book, Edwin Black, details an ongoing business relationship between Watson's IBM and the emerging German regime headed by Adolf Hitler and his National Socialist German Workers' Party. Hitler came to power in January 1933. On March 20 of that same year, he established a concentration camp for political prisoners in the Bavarian town of Dachau, just outside the city of Munich. Repression against political opponents and the country's ethnic Jewish population began immediately. By April 1933, some 60,000 had been in prison. Now, for you folks out there that are sitting there and they're going to get mad at me, look, I addressed this before the break. I am going off of the official narrative here because I am telling the story 
about IBM and their relations with Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party to help track people and eventually, you know, exterminate folks. All right. We're going with that official narrative because the point needs to be made. If the official narrative is what we're all going off, what we're taught in school, then we have to call into question the actions of IBM being involved with building the same system with greater technology to run these free range prison yards called smart cities or smart villages all right you cannot sit here and tell me that ibm helped hitler and the nazis and at the same time you're okay with the fact that ibm is creating the same system on steroids in cities around the world today you just can't have the two uh and this guy's book is not conspiracy theory at least as far as it relates to what ibm has actually admitted to uh, and we can go through that. But IBM has essentially tried to soften the blow over the years, but they do admit that this was going on. All right, it says business relations between IBM and the Hitler regime continued uninterrupted in the face of broad international calls for an economic boycott. Willy Heidinger, who remained the chief executive of Diomag, the German subsidiary of which IBM owned 90%, was an enthusiastic supporter of the Hitler regime. All right, so you have this guy, Willy Heidinger, who is the chief executive, basically the CEO of Diomag, right? And IBM owns 90% of them. This guy is a big supporter of Hitler, all right? On April 12, 1933, the German government announced plans to conduct a long-delayed national census. The project was particularly important to the Nazis as a mechanism for the identification of Jews, Roma, and other ethnic groups deemed undesirable by the regime. Diomag offered to assist the German government in its task of ethnic identification, focusing upon the 41 million residents of Prussia. This activity was not only uh, countenanced by Thomas Watson and IBM in America, Black argues, that's the author, was actively encouraged and financially supported with Watson himself traveling to Germany in October 1933 and the company ramping up its investment in its German subsidiary for 400000 to $7 million Reichsmark, about $1 million, equivalent to $20.9 million in 2021. This injection of American capital allowed Diamag to purchase land in Berlin and to construct IBM's first factory in Germany, black charges, thereby, quote, tooling up for what it correctly saw as a massive financial relationship with the Hitler regime, end quote. All right. So you, you get the point here, what the author is saying, uh, and, I, and I have in fact checked all this stuff, but I did look to see how IBM has responded to this. The author is saying that Watson, the head of IBM, who owns 90% of this company, goes over to Germany and he injects roughly $21 million in today's money. It would be about $24 million in today's money into building the factory there in Berlin. 
Black, the author, also cites documents regarding, quote, a secret deal, end quote, that was made between Heidinger and Watson during the latter's visit to Germany, which allowed Diamag commercial powers outside of Germany, enabling the, quote, now Nazified, end quote, company to, quote, circumvent and supplant, end quote, various national subsidiaries and licensees by, quote, soliciting and delivering punch card solution technology directly to IBM customers in those territories, end quote. As a result, Nazi Germany soon became the second most important customer of IBM after the lucrative U.S. market. The 1933 census, with design help and tabulation services provided by IBM through its German subsidiary, proved to be pivotal to the Nazis in their efforts to identify, isolate, and ultimately destroy the country's Jewish minority. Machine-tabulated census data greatly expanded the estimated number of Jews in Germany by identifying individuals with only one or a few Jewish ancestors. Previous estimates of over 400,000 to 600,000 were abandoned for a new estimate of 2 million Jews in the nation of 65 million. You see this? So they were launching, now if this is accurate which we know IBM has admitted this was actually going on, that IBM was helping build this technocracy inside of Nazi Germany. No, I mean, do you not see this, folks? Do you not see what was going on here? And now IBM is sitting there building out these supercomputers, housing data, collecting data on every citizen inside of, in the example we gave today, Jakarta City. They are catalyzing uh, cataloging everything all this data on all the people the 10 and a half million people that live inside of jakarta it's being cataloged it's being housed it's being processed it's being analyzed is this not any different than what they were doing in nazi germany right and now ibm is doing it again helping build out these smart cities folks well i guess we could say Maybe Germany, maybe Nazi Germany was the first smart country. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dust to Gold with the Dust to Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dust and Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. Let's continue here, ladies and gentlemen, because we're trying to explain to you in my opinion anyway in my analysis that uh, IBM is back at it again and if we are to believe the official narrative that we were taught in schools right about Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany what they were doing 
um, then you're going to have to call into question the actions of IBM at the time. And now look at what IBM is doing today and ask exactly why they're doing it. And maybe this will start to answer some of the questions I brought up at the beginning of the show. What is the actual purpose of all of the technology, the 5G replicators, the data sensors that are going up all over the city? If we are not getting access to uh, faster internet, if we still have cell phone calls drop, if we don't have access to city portals to interact with our government in the ways they tell us that they're going to allow us to do, what is the actual purpose of all this? Well, many of you believe there are depopulation plans in play. Many of you believe they are going to start putting brain chips inside people's heads. Many of you believe that maybe the jabs have death juice and or some sort of graphene oxide that are going to connect people up to the cloud. Well, if this is the world they're building, would this not make sense, folks? I know it's dystopian as hell to think about it, but we know it was going on in Nazi Germany with a lot uh, more primitive technology. Now they have more advanced technology. They claim to be working on all this quantum computing. Uh, You're going to see, obviously, now in tomorrow's episode, I'm going to show you over 1,200 data centers around the world, strategically located data centers where they're processing all the data. We know that 70% of the internet of traffic, according, according to Voice of America, the CIA's propaganda arm, that they're running 70% of the world's internet traffic through Loudoun County, through Ashburn, Virginia, where it's all being sorted and processed. So something is going on. Uh, something is going on. And I, I do not believe... It is all a giant grift. I believe they create a grift industry to allow folks to make money, to create buy-in, to build the technology. But there are slaves building this technological pyramid on behalf of some Pharaoh Rockefeller somewhere. Something is going on. This isn't all an accident. It's not haphazard. There is a strategic plan in place. Let's continue here. It says, as the Nazi war machine occupied successive nations of Europe, capitulation was followed by a census of the population of each uh, subjugated nation with an eye to the identification and isolation of Jews and Romani. This census operations were intimately intertwined with technology and cards supplied by IBM's German and New Polish subsidiaries, which were awarded specific sales territories in Poland by decision of the New York office following Germany's successful Blitzkrieg invasion. Data generated by means of counting and alphabetization equipment supplied by IBM through its German and other national subsidiaries was instrumental in the efforts of the German government to concentrate and ultimately destroy ethnic Jewish populations across Europe. Black, the author of this book, reports that every Nazi concentration camp maintained its own Hollerith uh, Abtalong, that's the Hollerith Department, assigned with keeping tabs on inmates through use of IBM's punch card technology. I, what is the difference, all right, between what they were doing back then? I'm talking about IBM with punch card technology and IBM tracking all the citizens today. Remember, it says we are listening to the citizens, listening, spying on. We are listening to the citizens and 
uh, compiling and tracking their data, analyzing their data. And remember, I showed you how much data each person is generating every minute of every day uh, in the world. It goes on to say in his book, Black charges that, quote, without IBM's machinery, counting, uh, continuing upkeep and service, as well as the supply of punch cards, whether located on site or off site, Hitler's camps could have never managed the numbers they did. So we can call Hitler's camps. I, I think this is important here. Hitler's camps were the first 15-minute cities. <laughs> Hitler's camps were the first 15-minute cities thanks to IBM. And IBM is doing it all over again. We need to start branding things, folks. This is how it works. goes on to say major changes were made for the 2002 paperback editions on Three Rivers Press, Time Warner paperbacks, and the 2012 expanded edition on Dialogue Press. All right, so this is talking about the book. It says, in the updated 2002 paperback edition, the author included new evidence of the connection between IBM's United States headquarters and its Polish subsidiary during Nazi occupation. In 2012, Black published a second expanded revision with more documents. The 2012 expanded edition provides 32 pages of new photographic and documentary evidence. And I'm, I'm going to go through all of this uh, before we get to the data centers because I, I want you to be able to understand what was going on almost 100 years ago and then look at the infrastructure all right, so let's go back up here for a second. It said there was, what, 60 million people inside of this German territory at the time. Well, now they're trying to police and catalog and manage 7.6 billion, maybe 8 billion people worldwide. Well, they had these little offices inside of the concentration camps what you don't understand now is that the concentration camp is worldwide we live in the concentration camp i mean it's not complete this is why they're launching the smart cities and the 15-minute districts and the smart villages program in europe now because they're trying to drive the whole world into the concentration camp that's what the technocracy is that's what these smart districts and smart cities and smart villages are all about well they can't do it out of a little tiny office anymore you know what the office is the office of the regime is the city is the 15-minute district that's why they're shrinking them down is the smart village that's the office and the office is sending the data back through the cloud to the data servers where everything is processed and analyzed in real time. Uh, it goes on to say IBM's post-invasion Polish subsidiary. A revised 2002 paperback edition provides additional evidence that IBM New York established a special subsidiary in Poland called Watson Business Machines to deal with railway traffic in general government. Edwin Black, that's the author, asserts that IBM did so after the September 1st, 1939 Nazi invasion of Poland and continued this business relationship during the Holocaust in Poland. Watson Business Machines operated a punch card printing shop near the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, in 2002, 
editor, uh, editorial in the San Francisco Gate, Black documented that this Polish subsidiary reported to IBM Geneva, which in turn reported to IBM New York. Black further states that IBM's European general manager reported directly to Thomas Watson Sr. that some machines in Poland were sent to Romania to assist in the Jewish census there, and that these Polish machines were later replaced. In his book, uh, Black quotes Leon Krzemski, the last surviving person involved in the administration of the rail transportation in Auschwitz and Trebenka uh, as stating he knew the punch card machines were not German machines because the labels were in English. Black details how income from the machines leased in Poland was sent through Geneva to IBM in New York. Uh, and I'm going to, we'll talk about one other section here. We'll wrap this up. We'll pick it back up tomorrow, and that'll bring us into the data centers. There's a little more research I want to do uh, on IBM. This says ongoing sales. Edwin Black details how IBM not only leased Nazi Germany the machines, but then provided continuous maintenance service and sold the spare parts and the special paper needed for the customized punch card. So remember, I kept telling you, that uh, there's there's the hardware, there's the software that are running the smart cities. There may be a front-facing portal, you know, where the citizens can interact. But someone also needs to maintain this. It's not built and just left alone. So you see IBM with this Jakarta situation, which which I'm very glad we covered this because you see now that this situation with Jakarta, they're running the data center for Jakarta. They're processing the data. They had what ten pieces of IBM branded software that are actually running this system for Jakarta, tracking, monitoring, spying on. Oh, sorry, listening to the citizens. It goes on to say no machines were sold, only leased. IBM was the sole source of punch cards and spare parts. It serviced the machines on site, either directly or through its authorized dealer network or field trainees. There were no universal punch cards. Each series of cards was custom designed by IBM engineers to capture information going in and to tabulate information the Nazis wanted to extract. See, again, this is processing data analyzing data now they're doing it in real time using quantum computing or as they're building up towards quantum computing uh, but this is the same data where they say they're pulling out data and looking at uh, where the complaint comes from where the garbage guy is driving and then they're going to help refine that situation all right that was a quote from edward black on updates in 2002 again there were no universal punch cards each series of cards was custom designed by ibm engineers to capture information going in and to tabulate information the nazis wanted to extract all right so there's no difference between what they were doing then all right and what you see today where programmers and software engineers write algorithms you know, calculations, formulas to extract certain analytics they want to gain from all the data that they're actually collecting. It goes on to say, after the publication of the 2012 expanded edition, Black, the author, wrote the Huffington Post, quote, the punch cards, machinery, training, servicing, and special project work, such as population census and identification, was managed 
directly by IBM headquarters in New York, and later through its subsidiaries in Germany, known as Deutsche Hollerith Maschinen uh, Gesellschaft, the D-E-H-O-M-A-G, Poland, Holland, France, Switzerland, and other European countries. Uh, end quote. He added, Black, the author, that the punch cards bore the ind- uh, indicia of the German subsidiary Diamag. All right. So, so you know what? Here, let's put it in here to actually close this out. Let, let, let's say IBM's response. All right. And, and this is, uh, again, Wikipedia's collection of the book itself. I've read some other articles. I'll probably bring them in tomorrow. And then we have a further uh, explanation of this time period outside of what just Black, the author, talks about. But this is IBM's response. Though IBM has never directly denied any of the evidence posed by the book, it has criticized Black's research methods and accusatory conclusions. All right, so they're going to attack the messenger, not the message. IBM claimed it does not have any other information about the company during its World War II period or the operations of DMAG, as it argued most documents were destroyed or lost during the war. How convenient. So they're not denying it. Because they don't actually know what Black or others have, but they're attacking Black's research methods and his accusatory conclusions, but then telling you they don't have any evidence to prove otherwise because whatever existed has been destroyed. It says IBM also claimed that an earlier dismissed lawsuit initiated by lawyers representing concentration camp survivors was filed in 2001 to coincide with Black's book launch. Lawyers for the Holocaust victims acknowledged the timing of the lawsuit to coincide with Black's book release, explaining their public relations strategies played an important role in their record of achieving Nazi-era settlements totaling more than $7 billion without winning a judgment. After the publication of Black's updated 2002 paperback book uh, edition, IBM responded by stating it wasn't convinced there were any new findings and there was no proof IBM had enabled the Holocaust. IBM rejected Black's assertion that IBM was hiding information and records regarding its World War II era. Several years previously, IBM had given its corporate records of the period to academic archives in New York and Stuttgart, Germany for review by undefined, quote, independent scholars, end quote. In early 2021, back Black published the 20th anniversary edition with special public events and a syndicated article stating that in 20 years, quote, not a comma has been changed, end quote, adding the quote, IBM has never requested a correction or denied any facts in the book, end quote. You see that? IBM has never denied any of the facts in the book. So I leave you with this, folks, because we started with it. What are they building? And and you're going to see tomorrow with the data centers. We're going to talk about Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon, IBM, Alibaba, Oracle, all these major players uh, that I would call fronts for the state. All right. We're going to be talking with them. We're going to be looking at the data centers. If they're not providing you with a front-facing portal to interact with your smart city so you can complain about garbage management or some other nonsense, or so you could tune into a CCTV webcam uh, like you're an actor inside the Truman Show or something, 
All right, if you're not even getting access to that low-level garbage, what are they doing with all the data? Why is this whole partnership between Jakarta and IBM? And we're going to look and see what other smart cities IBM is working with. Why is this not being called into question here? All right. IBM, if you want to believe the official narrative of Hitler and Germany and the Nazis and the Holocaust, and IBM was working to make that happen, and now IBM is doing it through smart cities and smart villages and these districts, why are we not calling that into question? Why are we not saying, hey, they're doing the same thing just with this new technology? They were helping build a technocracy 100 years ago with Nazi Germany, and they are continuing to do it today, just rebranded under the name smart cities and smart villages and 15-minute districts. Come on, folks. It's all right there for you to see, ladies and gentlemen. Leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts along with a comment. We appreciate that. It really does help us move up in the rankings. Uh, think about joining us at pain.tv slash golf for a few bucks a month, folks. Get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast. You'll see all the videos and the articles and everything I share live on screen. You can look at my beautiful face with my sunglasses. Uh, so join us there. If not, and you don't want to join, and you like listening at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Podcasts or whatever technocratic platform you're on, think about leaving us a donation. Donorbox.org slash Dustin Goldshow. We just had to buy this new hard drive. I've got to build this uh, traveling three-screen laptop so we can produce on the road. If we get some revenue coming in here, I can expand the show. It will only get better. It will only get better with your help, ladies and gentlemen. I will see you tomorrow for episode 155. We're going to continue down this path of IBM and Nazi Germany and smart cities. We're going to get into the data centers. I'm going to show you how that works, and then we're going to work our way into chat. GPT. I will see you tomorrow. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard Podcast right here on pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.